over the next few weeks, we're going to go over the letters to the Thessalonians, and we'll start with the first letter. So let's open up our Bibles to, to page 1267. That'll be the that'll be the book of First Thessalonians, the first epistle of Paul to the church in Thessalonica. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Now the best place to start any book is at the end. So go to chapter five. Chapter 5, verse 27. And reading out of the King James will say, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Amen. How many holy brethren and sisters do we have in here today? Amen. Praise God. Well, we're going to obey them and we're going to read the first letter of the Thessalonians. And uh, we're just going to be good Bible-obeying saints tonight. All right, so back to verse 1. Paul and Silvanus of, and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. All right, so Paul, when he was at Troas on his second missionary trip, remember his first missionary trip, he took Barnabas and Mark, and uh, they went all through the area of Galatia. And then he said, hey, why don't we go back through the churches and visit them again, see how they're doing. So he went through the region and he went all the way up to the coast and was up in Troas. Um, before he went there, though, remember in Acts, it said he was wanting to make a right-hand turn and head into Asia, all right? But the Spirit forbid him. Amen. And he took a left-hand turn and did it up in Troas on the coast, all right? The very coast of what is now modern-day Turkey. And while he was there, he was sick. And while he was in his bed, he got a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And so he said, we've got to go over there. And at the time, he was traveling with Timothy and Silvanus, who was also known as Silas. All right. And so they took a ship over the Aegean Sea and went over into... Macedonia, modern-day Greece. And that was probably the most important vision for me and you that happened in the Scriptures because it was at that moment that the gospel went to Europe and into Western civilization. And who knows where we'd be today had he not been obedient to that vision and went to Greece. And so he ended up in Philippi. And however many remember the story of the Philippian jailer. Well, he was in jail because he was bold in the scriptures, bold in preaching the word of God, and he was bold in casting out devils. 
And there was a woman who was by a spirit of divination was making money for her masters. And when Paul perceived that she was full of the devil, he cast the devil out of her. And when he cast the devil out of her, she could no more use magic spells to create wealth and manipulate people to bring income to her masters. So they turned on Paul and they begin to say that he was, you know, messing up the economy of the Philippians. How many have heard that before? You're going to ruin the economy. Well, he was being accused of ruining the economy and they put him in jail without trial and they beat him. Well, when they found out that he was a Roman citizen who was whipped and beaten without a trial, they begin to quake in their boots because that's illegal. You cannot take a Roman citizen and charge and accuse him without a fair trial. So he said, hey, we're not leaving. You send them down here to relieve us themselves. And that's what they did. But prior to that, him and Silas were praising the Lord in jail. And man, they were praising so good that the walls come tumbling down. And the Lord opened up those cells and he broke down those walls to the jailhouse. And the Philippian jailer, when he saw what happened, when he awoke, he was about ready to commit suicide because he thought all the prisoners would escape. But he must have had the knife to throat. And Paul said, whoa, whoa, brother, wait, wait, we're all here. We're all here. Now, I find that amazing that he said, we're all here. Not just him and the good Christians, but everybody was still there. So the power and the anointing of God was so strong in that jail as they were singing praises that it had an effect on the rest of those prisoners. They saw what the mighty hand of God did in the midst of them, and they had the fear of the Lord, and they did not move. And Paul said, we're all here, brother. And so the story goes on that the jailer, he believed on the Lord and he was saved. And he ended up actually bandaging up Paul and Silas and, and giving them medicine and feeding them and taking care of them. Well, later on, the counselors of the city came down and they released Paul. And they were on their way down towards Athens and Corinthians to Corinth. And that's when they came to this place right here. So when he came here, you'll notice in this letter that he's, he's kind of a bit apologetic for the state that they were in when they approached Thessalonia. Because they obviously had some cuts and bruises. Amen. They were just beaten almost to death. So when they, he was in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths, it says. But then they begin to turn on him there as well. And they moved him out of the city quickly. So he rushed down to Berea, was sitting in Athens, and he told Timothy, Timothy, we were only at that church for three weeks. I want you to go back and see how they're doing. So he sent Timothy to, to the Thessalonians, and he was in Athens. And then he got the report from Timothy as he came back. Paul was now in the city of Corinth. And Timothy was giving him a good report, how they were strong in faith. And it was so encouraging to Paul that they were standing for the Lord, that they were doing really well, that he kind of, he wrote this letter. 
And this is how the scriptures, the new Pauline epistles started. Most commentaries that you read, most Bible resources will say this is the very first letter that Paul sent out. Some will debate it would be Galatians, but most of your resources say that the Thess this first letter to the Thessalonians was the first letter that Paul wrote in around 51 AD, which is like what, 20 years after Jesus went, went, up, to the, went up to heaven? So we're only talking like 20 years since the Lord was on earth. Something like that, give or take a few. So this letter went out as just a simple encouragement because he was so over the moon that they were staying firm in the faith. Amen. He was so happy about that. And this is how he wrote to him. So he says, Paul and Silas and Timothy under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you'll notice that in every letter that Paul has ever, he's ever uh, wrote, he written, wrote, I'm struggling with that tonight. Is it written or wrote? Every letter that Paul has written has grace and peace. You can go through there and check it out. Me and Rick did it one day just for fun. But every single Pauline epistle in his introduction always leads with grace and peace. He never says peace and grace. And the reason why is because you can't have the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. Amen. A lot of people want peace in this world. But they don't want God's grace. They want peace without grace and you can't have it. Peace is a response to the grace of God. Amen. And he says, it's grace from our father and it's peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples when he was with them. What did he say? My peace, I leave with you. My peace but not as the world gives, give I to you. Now, how does the world give? How did the United States give to the Native Americans? They gave, and then what they do? They took it away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you ever worked for somebody like that, where they give, and then they'll take it away? You know? They say they're going to give you more of your money back in your taxes and then they take it away somewhere else. Amen. This world is full of people that promise that they're going to give, but they end up taking. But not Jesus. Jesus doesn't give that way. Praise God. When Jesus gives, he gives forever for eternity because his name is at stake. Amen. It's his name that's on the line. His name is on the check and he will not bounce his check. Praise God. I'm glad for that. Ain't you now? So he says from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why isn't the Holy Spirit mentioned there? We've got two thirds of the Trinity. But if you look between the lines, you'll see that the Holy Spirit is there. Amen. Because the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of 
the Holy Ghost. So we've got grace from the Father, peace from Jesus, and the word from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 2, he says, Now we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Now, Paul was a praying man. I heard one preacher say one time that you don't you would don't expect somebody to get saved unless you're willing to spend some time praying for their salvation. You know, we have to salt evangelism with fervent prayer. Amen. That's what these Friday nights are about. Prayer is important, man. You don't think it's important. You just read the letters of Paul. Paul was always praying. Sometimes he'd be in the middle of teaching them some heavy duty doctrine. And all of a sudden he'd just get the spirit of prayer on him. And he'd just begin to start calling down heaven for the people that he loved. You know the thing about prayer? Prayer really shows you, tells you who loves you, man. I know Paul loved the church that he wrote to. I know that he loved me. Because he saw us in the future, just like Jesus did. And the proof of that love is the time that he spent on his knees for his, the church, man. Paul prayed for the church. And a powerful church is a praying church. Amen? Amen. Now, he said, I remember without ceasing your faith, your love, and your hope. Now, this is the Christian character. Everywhere Paul writes, he writes this triple bound cord that cannot be easily broken. Faith, love, and hope. Remember what he said in Corinthians? Hope, faith, and love, and the greatest of these is what? Love, you know, charity. He's always connecting these three things together. Now notice he calls it a work of faith. Go with me over to John chapter 6. Keep your finger in Thessalonians. Go to John chapter 6. Talking about the work of faith. John, Gospel of John chapter 6. Say amen when you're there. John chapter 6. Talking about the work of faith. What is the work of faith? All right. John chapter 6. Scroll down to verse 29. It says, Now Jesus answered and he said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Now earlier, the disciples, they said to him, they said, uh, what shall we do that we might work the works of God, Jesus? No, what did they say? What shall we do? The human spirit always wants to know what to do. What shall we do to work the works of God? But Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God. Not that you do, but that you believe on him that he has sent. That's the work of faith. The work of faith is to believe on him that he sent. But we so much get caught up in wanting to do. Let me tell you something. If you get your belief right, the doing will follow the right way. Yeah. 
Amen? Amen. The focus is on Christ. If the focus is on him, the good works will follow. But we just need to know that Jesus is not focused on what we do, but what we believe. Amen. Amen. So that is the work of faith. The other thing he says is, I know your labor of love. Labor of love. Now, when I think of labor, there's two things that come to mind. One, a woman in travail at birth. And the other one I think of is just like going out and digging a ditch. Hard work, hard labor, amen? You know, physical hard work. You know, once somebody always said, how do you spell ministry? W-O-R-K, have you ever heard that before? You know, it's work. Labor, love is, love is hard. Love is laborious. Think about mothers. Now, I don't know how they do this because this is not in me. I will just tell you right up, straight up. It could be, you could have the hardest day going out. You've played hard. You come back home. Everybody's been on a walk. They've been down in the creek fishing. Everybody's tired and wants to go to bed. And, and all of a sudden I look at my two boys, man, they're filthy. They got mud all over their face and their hands. And if that was me at home without Catherine, I'd be like, hop into bed, boys. Let's go, man. Let's go to sleep. Get in. Get into bed. But no, the labor, the labor of love from a mother will take those as tired as she is. She'll go and get the washcloth. She'll go and she'll wipe the mouth off and she'll wipe the hands off. She'll brush the teeth. She'll do all the, the work, you know, because she loves them. It doesn't matter how tired you mothers are. You just seem to know you find that extra little energy to do what you need to do to make sure the right things are done for love's sake. Amen. And, uh, you know, everything that we do in the church must be motivated through love. That's what Jesus told the Ephesians, didn't he? In his letter to the Ephesians, he said, you got a lot of great work. You've got the, you got the greatest food pantry I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> You got a great food pantry. But there's one thing you lack. One thing's missing. First love. Amen. And you can do all kinds of stuff, but if there's not motivated by love, if there's no labor of love in it, then you're just doing it for yourself. Because when we get to heaven and Christ judges our works at the Bema seat of Christ, works without love is hay and stubble. And when the fire's lit, hay and stubble doesn't stay around. Hey, man, it goes up in smoke. So the next time you're serving in that kitchen back there, or you're doing something for somebody in the church and you, you feel like you're not doing it in love. Just go ahead and just get out your carpet and send up some smoke signals, because that's about all that's happening right there. Amen. Because there's nothing going on in your account for Christ's sake if it doesn't have love in it. Now, next thing he says, the patience of hope. Hope is patient. You know, hope is not something that is now. Hope is future. Amen. But you know, people always act like what they hope for. Hope is like a, it's like a compass. 
It's like the focal point that you set your eyes, your face like a flint. You're in the hope of something in the future and it guides you. That's why Jesus said, look at my people. They're all sheep scattered without hope, without hope in me. Just going to and fro doing their own thing like that video pastor always plays. You know, the, uh, where the people take off, what's it called, Pastor, that race? The 100-yard uh, dash, no <laughs> dash for people with no sense of direction. No sense of direction. No hope. Thessalonians is going to talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ more than any letter that we read. Amen. And he has set the future of our hope in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, I don't know about you guys, but that is the thing that I've got my hope set on. Yeah, I'd like some cool things here on earth. I'd like to do big, bigger things for Christ. But I got to be honest with you. The biggest thing I've got my hope set on is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our hope. And that is the thing that keeps us going, that sets us forward, man. Now, the hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight, in the sight of God and our Father. Now that's interesting. We hope, the hope of Jesus Christ's return keeps us going, but the other thing that keeps us straight is knowing that God, He sees what you're doing. He sees what I'm doing. Everything we do is in the sight of God. And that should, as a Christian, that should motivate us to do the right thing, even if nobody's looking. Even if it hurts, there's been many times, have you probably experienced it? There's been times where you've had to make hard decisions because you know God is looking and you could have gotten away with it. No one would have seen it. No one would have even said anything, but you knew God was looking and it caused you to make a hard choice because God was looking. And I'll tell you, that's what separates us from anybody else on this planet, gang. That's what makes a Christian a Christian is they do the right thing when no one's looking because he's looking. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, look at verse five. He says, oh, sorry, I skipped a couple verses, didn't I? All right. So work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in the sight of God, our father, knowing brethren. Beloved, your election of God. All right, so that's a, that's a good old church word right there, election. The elect. Pastor, we, we spoke about this when, the, uh, when we were in Romans chapter 8. Now, usually, man, election is something, that's a, heavy, that's a heavy theological topic. And you're like, Jeremy, are you trying to tell me that Paul took three weak old Christians and taught them the election of God? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. When we go through this letter, you'd be amazed on what Paul actually brings up in this letter, that he taught these early Christians in three weeks. The Bible says he was there for three Sabbaths. So in three weeks, he's already dealing with the election of God. You know, the election of God is something that we need to understand in Christ because there has been a lot of division in the church over this topic. And so I'm only going to spend a few minutes on it. We covered it kind of a little bit in Romans 8, but I just, want to, I just want to bring it up a little bit back to the surface a little bit tonight if we can, all right? All right, first of all, 
Are you still in John or did you leave there? Okay. John 15. Now, those of you that have, you know, I like to do the Bible workout. You know what I mean? I like to turn to the scriptures. I got, we got time to wait on you. Pastor said, I've got until December to finish this book. <laughs> I'm kidding. John 15, 16. Now look at this. The first thing we need to know about the election of God. Jesus speaking to the disciples, he says here, he says, Now you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I've ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain. All right? Now, when we talk about the elect of God, the scripture speaks of four different groups of people in the elect of God. The first, he talks about Israel. And you can find that in Isaiah 45. I'm going to go there so I can get it correct because I haven't got it memorized. But Isaiah 45... Chapter 45, and we're looking at uh, verse, hmm, where's it at? Isaiah 45, verse 4, says this. For Jacob my sake, for Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, whose is elect? Israel, all right? So Israel's his elect. I have called thee by name, and I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Amen? He, he gave them a surname, and they didn't even know who he, he, who he was. All right? But God calls them the elect. The other person God calls the elect, while you're there in Isaiah, go over one more chapter to 42. And um, it's in Isaiah 42, verse, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. That's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the Lord calls Jesus Christ his elect. He calls Israel his elect. The other body that he calls elect is angels. Um, in Timothy, he talks about the, the elect, the angels that are elect, he says. In Timothy, if you're writing references down, I'll give that to you. It's in uh, 1 Timothy 5.21. All right, so he calls angels the elect. And the last person he calls elect is the church. And probably one of the most powerful verses for this is found in the letter of 1 Peter. So go over there real fast. The letter of 1 Peter. And this is a strong scripture when we're dealing with the elect because however we've touched it, however many here have heard the, the, the term predestination. Every time you say that word in church, predestination, it's like you can hear a pin drop because it automatically somehow or another sends people into a massive confusion. Well, tonight, I hope by the grace of God, I can just 
alleviate the confusion about predestination once and for all as far as this church is concerned, all right? And we're going to start with understanding what election is. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, he's speaking to Peter, is speaking to the church, and he says, elect according to foreknowledge of God the Father. All right? So the first thing you got to understand about election is the word foreknowledge. That's a pen that doesn't work. All right, so we got foreknowledge here, yeah? Yell at me if I spell it wrong. Knowledge. Foreknowledge, isn't that right? Oh, E, okay, yeah, okay. Thank you, sweetheart. Foreknowledge. So how did he say we were elected by? We're elected by foreknowledge. So first is foreknowledge, then comes election. All right. So that's that bit. Now, flip it one more page to verse 20. Now look at the uh, start of verse 19 of the same chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. When was he foreordained? Before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, before you were created, right? Before I was created? He was foreordained before we were even here. Now that word foreordained, if you went into the original Greek word, it's the same word as predestination, okay? So if you stay right there and you flip over to Romans 8 where we were a few weeks ago, and this is the, one, this is the famous passage of predestination right here, Romans 8, 28, Amen. all right? Romans 8, 28. Say amen when you're there. All right, so remember, predestination, foreordained, same words. All right, so 28 of Romans chapter 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose for whom he did foreknow. So who's the whom there? Exactly, the people he's talking about in verse 28. The people that are called according to his purpose is the whom. So whom he did foreknow, all right, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Now, one of the things where people you got to understand about Scripture is we've got to rightly divide the Word of God. Amen? we got to compare Scripture with, with Scripture. So we just saw, according to Peter, that you cannot have election before foreknowledge, right? Now, now him who he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. So, 
God knew us before the foundation of the world. He chose according to the foreknowledge. And because he chose, because he elected, he then foreordained or he then predestinated, okay? Or predestinated. Now, another easy word for predestinated, just simply put in there, predetermined. All right, so God knew you before you were ever born. He foreknew. And according to the foreknowledge that you were going to believe, then he made the election. There's no place in Scripture where God says that he elected according to foreknowledge. It said, I mean, that he had uh, election before foreknowledge. A lot of the Calvinists teach that God in his predetermined will and knowing he, he, he made a choice before knowledge. And that's wrong. Amen. God does not choose Amen. and pick and choose at will who he just feels like. He doesn't elect like that. He elects according to foreknowledge of what you will do. He knows what you would have done. He knows what you're going to do. He knows that I was going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows you were going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to that foreknowledge, that's when he chose you. That's another word for election. Chose, okay? And because he chose you, he predestinated you to become or predetermined that you would be like his son. Now, this predestinated word here, or forward, that should make us all excited. What does that say? In other words, I am confident that he who started a good work, he, he who started a good work is faithful and just to perform it or see it come to pass. That's why he can predestinate your future. In other words, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to make it based on what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be, it's not going to be on my good stuff or my gifts or my talents, praise God, or man, praise God, not on my looks. It's going to be predestinated on his predetermined counsel that I am going to be conformed like his son. Amen. Amen. Now, Romans here, it says, following that. Now, this is a great teaching because this is the path of the Christian believer here. From eternity past to eternity future. Now, look what he says right there at the end of Romans uh, 30. He says, whom he did predestinate, he called. Now, the cool thing about that word called, it actually means to call by name. Call by name. That's what I love about serving the Lord. We're not a number, amen? This world wants to give you a number, but Jesus has come to give us a name, praise God. The Bible said that when we receive uh, eternal life and we meet the Lord, we will all be given a name that only he knows, praise God. But it ain't going to be a seven-digit number that's convenient to record and track. It's a personal, hand-given name by the Lord himself. So it says he called by name and whom he called, 
he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. All right, so predestinated, he called us by name. He justified us. And then he glorified us. Running out of room here. All right, now, how many ever heard of this word? Free will. Now, this is where the Calvinists and the Arminians and all through church history, men just sit around and try to debate the scriptures instead of going winning souls for Jesus. Amen. That's how we get into all these problems about, you know, in church history. You study church history. Most of our our bad heresies and doctrines comes around from guys sitting around thinking, talking, just getting themselves all worked up instead of just going out winning souls for Christ. Amen. You know, if we just get busy preaching the simple simplicity of the gospel, we won't come up with things that like the five points of Calvinism, you know, tulip and all that jazz. You know, we don't have time for that stuff. People are going to hell in a handbasket. We need to go out there and preach the simplicity of the gospel and quit trying to get hung up on all this stuff. Now. The biggest problem that people have with predestination is they think that it interferes with man having free will. All right. Now, I heard something the other day, and this just completely this, this put this argument to bed for me. And I hope it does for you. However, how, how many people ever heard of a guy named H.A. Ironside? H.A. Ironside. Well, I don't know when this guy was alive, but I've heard of his name many times. Now, he came up with an illustration that goes something like this, and I hope I could do it justice tonight. It's called Ironside's Door. And what I want you to imagine is, how many know that God lives outside of the time domain? All right? We know he lives outside the time domain. The Bible calls it from everlasting to everlasting. Um, eternity past to eternity future. God is not in time. There's no time that exists in his realm. And praise God, when he comes back for us, we will be outside of that time domain. All right. That's how come when Jesus in his glorified body, man, he just walked right through the wall and, and ate a sandwich. Now, how's a guy walk through a wall, but then eat a sandwich and not fall through his body? I have no idea. But that's the glorified body that we're all going to get. You're going to be able to eat, but yet also pass through walls. That is some kind of body, man. That's my favorite kind of body. I can eat, but I can also run through walls. That makes me a happy man. Now, everything that you see, the foreknowledge in the election, foreordained or predestinated, that all has to do with stuff outside of the time domain. The reason why men always get confused about free will is they try to put free will into the, into the outside the time domain. What did it say? We were foreordained before the foundations of the world. So before the time domain even existed, that's when we were foreordained. So if we were, if we were, if he foreknew us, if he elected us, and he foreordained us outside the time domain, how can we get confused with it messing with our free will? 
Free will did not even exist when God did these things. Amen. It was outside of the time domain. And so he said, imagine a door in a corridor. And this is what Ironside said. He said, all of humanity is walking down a large corridor heading to hell, lost in their sin. And along this corridor, we're walking by and there's a gigantic door. And above that door is the words, whomsoever will. Whomsoever will. I'm a whomsoever will. I'm walking along. I'm thinking this hallway's awfully crowded, man. I'm going to see what's behind that door number one, whomsoever will. So we open up the door of whomsoever will. We walk in. We shut the door. I look around in my amazement, and there is a banquet set up more beautiful than Beauty and the Beast. There's like, it's like amazing. There's thousands of chairs. And all of a sudden, I come to a chair, and I see my name placard at a place setting. And my name is right there. And then as I turn around... I look at the door that I just came from and above that doorway, there's a sign that says predestinated or foreordained from the foundations of the world. You see, man has free will. He has free will to choose. And he's going along his life in this time domain. But when he becomes a whosoever and steps through that door, the Lord Jesus Christ and believes on him for salvation, they are no longer in the time domain. It is no longer about free will. They at that moment, just like my name at that plate, they have been elected and foreordained to be conformed to the image of his son. And because I am the image of his son, I am justified from my sins. And because I'm justified from my sins, one day when the Lord comes back, I will be glorified. And this old broken down body will put on a glorified body, praise God, that will never die and that can eat a ham sandwich and walk through walls. Amen. <laughs> so the called, the justified, the glorified, that is the stages of Christianity. He foreknew you, and because he knew what you were going to do, he elected you. He chose you. And because he elected you, God does not choose people and then just leave them. He does not make a selection and then leave them to make it on their own. No, he predestinates, foreordains them to make it. To be conformed to the image of his son, because how many know that's the only way we're ever going to make it? Amen. And when you become the image of his son, he calls you a son, calls you by name. And because you have the name of his son, he can therefore justify you from his sins. And then he therefore glorifies you. Amen. So praise God. I hope that makes some sense tonight. Hallelujah. So there it is in a nutshell. So if anybody sees the word predestination, and somebody tries to bring in free will, say, sorry, buddy, that's wrong, wrong atmosphere. Free will is in the time domain. Predestination is outside the time domain. In other words, that's all God's, God's doing. Amen. Praise God. All right. So there we go. Thessalonians then. Anybody confused still? Raise your hand if you're still confused. Well, praise God. You got a question? All right. 
I think I well, that's a great question because here's the thing. When Paul calls himself a bondservant, he is no longer really about his will, is it? Our will is the will of God. When you become a, when you become a Christian, it isn't really your free will anymore. Now, you, you will battle with will because you're not completely transformed into the image of his son. That won't happen until he comes back. But the Bible does say at the end of the world, having put all things under his feet, he will then give everything back to God so that all things are now in God's will and subject to him. So in a sense, once we move from this life into eternity from this time domain to life eternal, there will be no free will. That's how I read the scriptures. We will not have because we're just going to want to do his will. Amen. When we get to heaven, when we when we live with Jesus forever, I'm not really going to have a will. I'm going to my will is to be is the is his will. Amen. And that's what this whole thing is all about. That's what Jesus came to do, because everything was in the will of God before Adam's fall. Adam just did what, you know, he did what pleased the father. And then once once sin entered the world, everything began to slowly unravel from the way God wanted it to work. And Jesus has come back to put all the pieces back together again and give it all back to God. So I don't really want my will free in this life that I live right now because I know what my free will does. I want my will to be subjected to him. Amen. But that's not to say you won't struggle. Bear. Yeah. I heard somebody explain at one time it was like a, a DVD movie. You ever had a DVD movie where you had an alternate ending? Okay. Yeah, I've heard that before. You just let the movie play through, it'll play through, and you're going to hell like going out in that hallway. Mm -hmm. But if you can pick another, en enter another ending to that movie, maybe one or maybe two other endings, but you've got a choice along the way how that ends. Yeah. It's not how you begin your life, it's not how you prosper in life, but it's how you end your life. How the ending is important. The right ending, you're going in the right direction. God's already set it up. For that ending, you can go down that ending, but you got to make that choice. Amen. That, to take that. I want this ending. I don't want the natural ending that's coming. That's me. right, man. Wasn't there in a video game where you were like a, a knight and an old video game when we were growing up as kids and you would like pick certain places to move your joystick to and it would create a certain ending of, or a story to this character or something like that? Choice. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> yeah, brother. Last last question. Destined was the plan of salvation for all men. That's right. That, that's what you just explained. Yep. It was the plan, was the opportunity yep. was there. That was, that was predestined for all men. All men. Plan of, all men well, it says because he was, for, he was Titus, foreordained. Titus 2 11, it says that the grace of God to bring us salvation hath appeared unto all men. All men. all men. Absolutely. Absolutely, dude. It's appeared unto all men. That door, every man was walking by in that hallway. Every man saw that door. The, the whomsoever was to all. Everybody saw the door. Well, why doesn't people go through the door? And Jesus answered that question. Go over to John chapter 3 real fast. And we'll finish with this tonight. What do we finish? About 830? All right. 
All right, John 3, and we're looking at uh, the, ch the, uh, ver the chapter area where he's talking to Nicodemus. And uh, we're going to be around somewhere like uh, verse 17. All right, John 3, 17. John 3, 17. Say amen if you're there. All right. Everybody ought to know this verse. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everybody, especially young people, everybody thinks that Jesus and God always wants to condemn them and point the finger. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not say that about Jesus and God. Nowhere. God does not condemn. As one man said, God's not the dammer. So quit saying that he is. Quit using his name in vain. Quit using his name as a swear word because God doesn't damn. God saves. Amen. That's what his job is. And that's why it's blasphemy when people are always using that as a swear word. Now, I'll tell you what God does. God judges. God judges. And we'll see later that God, through Jesus Christ, will bring wrath upon the earth. But God does not condemn. He's not the dammer. Look who is. Verse 19. This is the condemnation. This is what damns a person. The light has come into the world. And men, who? Who loved? Men loved man and woman. Men love darkness rather than light. Light has come. Light has appeared. But mankind has loved darkness rather than the light that has come. Why is that? Because their deeds, whose deeds? Their deeds are evil. Now that's not the end of it there now. There's one more part to that. There, we know that they love the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But what's the catch? It's right here in verse 20. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light. Why? Lest his deeds, which it said earlier, are evil, lest their evil deeds should be what? Reproved. Reproved. Now that's a good old King James word. Young people, when I was 20, man, I didn't want reproved from nobody. You don't reprove me. Don't you tell me how to live my life. Don't you reprove me. Don't tell me what to do. And guess why I was like that? Because I love darkness, that's why. And my deeds were evil. But praise God, I don't know how, through the grace of God, the scales fell off my eyes and somehow or another I said, man, that's a beautiful light. I am sick of living in the darkness, man. I am tired of the darkness. I mean, I really was. You were too. I was so fed up with living in darkness. 
I just needed a, I needed a way out, man. And so did you. And I ran to the light. And I became a whosoever. Amen. I became a whosoever. Why? Because I ran to the light. And so it ain't God. God ain't before the foundation of the world picking people, making choices, pushing this, though. These guys are going to believe and these guys aren't going to believe. That's not how it works. In the time domain, God gives everybody free will. But there is going to be a group of people, and you know there is, and we've seen them. You've tried to tell them about Jesus, but they're not coming. You keep telling them. You keep telling them. Because one day, if they never come to the light, they're going to stand before the great light at the great white throne of judgment. And Jesus is going to say, I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you. But you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't listen. And so we're not to get discouraged on the results, gang. We're not to be, you know, we're not to be counting. God always reproved the kings when they would try to count. He said, don't count your armies. Don't count how many men are with you. You're putting your, you're putting your trust in the results of the arm of the flesh. You're trusting in your human efforts. Don't count. Just just preach, man. Just proclaim. Amen. Like one guy always said, God, and you heard me say, God ain't called us to be editors. He's just called us to be newsboys. Amen. We're to proclaim the gospel, not explain the gospel. Let him do the explaining by the Holy Ghost. He's come to teach. We don't proclaim that. We don't explain the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. God will do the explaining through the Holy Ghost. It says the anointing has come and he will teach you what you have need of. Our job is just to proclaim Christ crucified in his resurrection because when they believe on that, the Holy Ghost will descend upon that believer and he will open their eyes of understanding. Man, too many times we try to take an unbeliever, man, and break out our Daniel 70th week chart, man. And say, oh, man, you know, did you know that the grease was the four-horned animal? And they're looking at us like, what the heck has this guy been smoking, man? They haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Because their eyes are not open. They, the first thing, they don't have to get to Daniel. They got to first get to John 3.16, amen? Then you can take them to Daniel. Praise God. All right. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and give God glory tonight. Amen. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for tonight. Thank you for church. Thank you, Lord, for your scriptures. Thank you for our beloved servant, Paul. We love Paul. Can't wait to see him. And but more importantly, I can't wait to see you, Jesus. And then after I worship you, I'm going to go give Paul a high five for writing this letter, God. So we thank you, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen, amen, amen. amen. All right, be blessed. We'll see you Sunday.